Welcome, and thanks for tuning in to our podcast. My name is Daniel. My wife, Megan, and I are the location pastors here at Destiny Church, Nuremberg Region. We know that today's message will bless and encourage you because the Bible tells us that the Word of God is alive and active. If you want to connect in with us, be sure to subscribe to this podcast, follow us on social media, or visit our website at destinychurch.de. Let's get into the Word. Good morning, everybody. Wow, it's great to see you today. Isn't it great being in church? And I'm just so blessed to see Destiny Nuremberg right here in the heart of the town in this beautiful cinema going for it. The last time I was here, you were in a hotel in Erlangen. Is that right? Erlangen, yeah. So it's just great to see what God is doing, and I'm really looking forward this afternoon to be at this brand new church plant. Um, you got to promise me you're not going to fall asleep in those comfy seats, right? You got to stay. You got to stay awake for the next thirty minutes at least. Um, but God is good. We're living in crazy times, really challenging times. I feel sometimes that we were looking at a chessboard with all the pieces on it, and somebody's just hit it from underneath. And everything's gone up in the air, is what it looks like. And so many people are fearful and anxious and displaced, confused. Some worried about their future. There's all part of people doing really well, too. Um, but it is a challenging time. And it can be a challenging time for you as a family. It can be a challenging time for your kids. We're finding that even our regular everyday services and not back to normal. You know, we, we now have to apply for new passports at home because we're now out of Europe. So we have to go through the long queues when we're at the airport. No European passports. And so if, uh, if you still have a European passport, there's some time left on it, you can use it, but otherwise you have to apply for a new one. We would normally get a new passport in like a week. Now it's about four months. And it's because there's nobody in the offices, nobody's in the buildings. But God is good. He's with us, right? And we are going to turn to the Word of God this morning to talk about something that is really important. But if you can, say with me first, I love God. I mean, say like you mean it. I love God. If you can, say with me, I love God's Word. Come on, say like you mean it. I love God's Word. And if you can't say with me, I love the preacher. I love the <laughs> We're going to talk about love. A love worth finding. There's an awful lot of conversation about love, right? It's in every pop song, movies and novels. I'm not sure about the German language, but in English, we just have the one word, love. And we kind of use it widely, don't we? We can say in one statement, I love my wife and I love chocolate. We've just got the same word, haven't we? But one would hope there's a bigger emphasis from the former to the latter, right? Right? 
We just lost our dog a couple of weeks ago. She was 14 years of age. We'd had her a long time. I loved that dog. But not like I love my kids, right, or my grandkids. And so we just have this word that we use, and we kind of find meaning or emphasis or weight in it, depending upon its context, and we just assume that that person means what we mean. But of course, it's probably the most significant word in the Bible. God is love. The challenge we have is this, that when we think of love and God thinks of love, they're two very different things. And even when we tell people God loves you, they probably haven't got a clue what we're talking about. And sometimes their own understanding of love has been journeyed with disappointment or pain. I'm sure you'll be aware that the New Testament, right, what we have is a translation because it was written in Greek. And the Greek is a far more colorful language than English. There are lots of words where we may have the one. And as we begin to unpack this concept of love for a few moments today, let's just start at that point. There are at least four Greek words that would be easily translated into the English word love, but they mean very, very different things. First of all, there's that word eros. Maybe you've heard that word before. Primarily, that word kind of speaks about an attraction between two people. It can have a sexual connotation to it, but it also can have a patriotic connotation to it. So in the Greek days, if people loved their nation, they would say they eros their nation. Patriotism. And, you know, in some nations, like America, patriotism is very strong, right? But then there's another word. Incidentally, the word eros is never once used in the Bible. So as the Holy Spirit inspired the scriptures, it was never brought in. Then there's another word. I'm not quite sure how you pronounce it. I'll try. It's the word storge. Would be translated love into English. But again, this means something completely different. It's a kind of blood is thicker than water kind of a love. Family love. I had two brothers, right? And when we were kids, if one was in a fight, we were all in a fight. He's my brother, right? Doesn't matter who's right or wrong. Doesn't matter who started it. <laughs> we're brothers, right? That's what we do. But that, that word storge can also mean tribal. And maybe you don't have a brother or a sister, but there are tribes on social media, aren't there? People live in their tribe. They identify themselves as their tribe, and they become very loyal to that tribe. You know, you post something on Instagram or Twitter that that tribe doesn't agree with, you get the whole tribe coming back at you. 
And that's, the Greek word for that would be storge. But here's an interesting thing. That word isn't in the Bible either. So when God's creating a message for us through a book that is his word, he doesn't want us to think of tribal love. In fact, the Bible tells us from every tribe, language, and nation, God calls us. And even just looking out today, I don't know how many nationalities are represented here. At home, most of our locations would have 60 plus nations in them. So we're not talking about storage, tribal love, it's something else. Then there is a lovely word, philo, or its derivatives. Philo, it means brotherly love, but not because you're blood brothers, because you're mates. You have affection for one another. I, I like you. I like hanging out with you. That's fill your love. It's, it's, it's affectionate. It's fondness. Now, this word is used in the Bible. And it's used in places like this where it says, love one another. Be affectionate towards one another. It's used when Jesus, when it was said of Jesus, and Jesus loved Lazarus. He filled you with Lazarus. He liked hanging out with Lazarus. And when you read the Gospels, right, he was at their home often. But there is yet another word. And if you've been a Christian a little while, no doubt you'll have heard this Greek word. And the word is agape. Or agape. Now, this word, although it was in general circulation in Greek life and Greek literature, it was rarely so. But it is the main word, the word, that's used in the scriptures. So already we can see when God's beginning to think of love, it's in sharp contrast to anything that's happening out there. And it's, it's the word that's used in perhaps the most famous verse in the Bible, which is, but God saw agape, loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son. But here's the interesting thing about agape. Here's the interesting thing about agape. It's not an emotion. And it's not a feeling. In fact, agape doesn't begin in the heart. It begins in the head. Or better still, to explain it, agape begins in the mind. The, the unusual thing about agape love is this. It's not an emotion. It's not a, it's not a feeling. It's not even an affection. It's a decision. It's a decision. It's a choice. It's a deliberate, active choice, and especially on God's part. God chose to love you. God made a choice 
to love you. He chose to love you. He didn't get up one day and have a gooey feeling. He didn't have this feeling because he loved you because, hey, you did great today. And did bad tomorrow, so he's changed his mind. When God made a choice to love you, it was a permanent choice that he intended to carry out to the fullest extent where he would never be diverted, distracted, or stopped. God loves you. And he made that choice before you were born. He made that choice before you did one thing. He made that choice before you even thought of him or went looking for him. He made that choice when your heart was in rebellion against him. He chose. He chose to love you. It's not dependent on what you've done or haven't done, how well you've performed. It's not to do with how well you've qualified, who your parents are, where you were raised. It's, not, it's nothing to do with how religious you are, how much you've been to church, or how wicked you were before, and, how, and now how repentant you are. God chose to love you. God loves you. Choice. Decision. Now, when that Greek word is used, it's a decision that's embodied and is activated, but then the emotions quickly come behind it. The affections are with it. And so we find a filial love coming with it. And we read verses like, and Jesus wept when he saw that Lazarus had died. And incidentally, he didn't weep because Lazarus was dead. Because he knew he was about to raise him from the dead. He wept because of death and dying and sin and suffering. Jesus, on one occasion, cried when he looked out at Jerusalem. He said, I would have gathered you like a hen gathers its chicks, but you just wouldn't let me. He cried. So there's. There is an emotion in this. There's an affection in this. But that's not how it starts. It starts with a decision, an unstoppable choice. See, I can make choices and decisions, but I can change my mind, right? I can feel differently about it tomorrow. Or circumstances might prevent me from doing so. But not with God. We've worked extensively in India for many years. Been to India many, many times. And on one occasion... We were visiting our orphanage. And we'd hang out with the kids. We had a lot of fun with them. And it was a beautiful evening, so we decided that we would walk back to the hotel through the village. And it's a very, very rural village. Right? Straw buildings, straw roofs. And we're walking on this dirt track back to a little hotel, that, the only one that was in the area. But on this road, there was a brick house. And as we're walking past the brick house, there's a man standing outside. And he says, good evening. He spoke English, right? Nobody speaks English in this part of the world. So we said, good evening. He said, please, would you come into my house? So Sue and I said, we'd be honored. So we go into the brick house. And then we discover that this man is a retired Indian Army major. So he's done well. But he has two beautiful daughters. 
18, 19, 20 maybe. And as we sit down, they come and sit at our feet, staring at us. I don't think they'd been this close to a white man before. And they're just staring at us. I mean, staring. We're looking at them, they're staring at us, and the mum's gone off to make some chai, and then the daughter, the eldest daughter, just stares at us, and she says this, was yours a love marriage? We had never been asked that question in our lives before. Was yours a love marriage? And it was like, well, of course. And then we realized they were about to enter into an arranged marriage. No choice or little choice in it. And so we had a conversation about our marriage to these two beautiful girls. And then on another occasion, same place, I was there with Ivan on this moment, and we'd gone back to the hotel where we were staying after having several meetings with our pastors. And this part of India has been heavily persecuted for Christians, right? And so you don't come across Christians very often. And we went into the hotel. I, th I think the guy was, you know, a real entrepreneur because he called it the Palm Beach Resort Hotel. But it had a latch and a bolt and a lock on the outside of your bedroom door. <laughs> it was that kind of a hotel. And as we, as we walked into the hotel, we heard choruses worship. I was like, what is that? What is it? So we've never heard this before. So we wander around trying to find who's singing. And we come into a little room, and there's a group of Christians worshiping. So we just join in with them, think this is amazing. And then we start talking to them, and they're there for a wedding, a Christian wedding. They're actually a very wealthy family. The dad owned a steel company. And they had three weddings, one in his town, one in her town, and now one here because they were building a business here. And I began to talk to the dads, the dad and the dad-in-law, and realized this Christian wedding was arranged. I didn't know Christians did arrange weddings in India, but they do. And they said, come to the wedding. I said, we're kind of busy all day with, with the conference. No, no, the wedding is all day. In fact, it's all day for three days. And so we did. And it was a, just a, a beautiful experience. The bride and the groom sat on thrones. And we all stood and looked at them. And then you took it in turns to go up to greet them or give them something or bless them. It's beautiful, actually. But I said to the groom, and how long have you known your wife? He said, two months. And we've met, I think he said, six times before the wedding. So to my mind, right, that's, what? But they were totally secure that this arranged marriage was of God and it was going to work. And actually, statistics tell us that arranged marriages have a far better success rate than love marriages. Why am I telling that story? Because somebody was making a choice and a decision. But God made a choice to choose to love you. And do you know what? The Bible tells us that we must make the same choice. Feelings have nothing to do with it. They come later. And when we search the scriptures, we very quickly see that we are told to love God like that. Choose to love God. Make a choice. I love God. Agape God. Return it. The Bible tells us that we are meant to love one another like that. So in this church, 
choose to love one another. Make a choice, a quality choice. Nothing to do with, I don't know if I like what he wears or have the same interest as him or, yeah, I'm not sure if we could hang out together. The church community has this love in it. The Bible also tells us that we have to make the same choice to love our neighbor. Who's our neighbor? Not just the guy who lives next door. It's anybody who's in need. Anybody at any time in need. Choose to love. Look for ways to make that choice. When we flew over here, what day? I'm losing track of time. Two days ago, we were at Frankfurt Airport. We went to buy a coffee and a sandwich. And there was a guy standing in front of us who was buying a coffee and a sandwich. And then the, the lady says to him, we only take cards. And he didn't have a card. He didn't have a credit card. He had cash. She said, sorry, don't take cash. So he's about to walk away and said, don't worry, I'll get it for you. No, no, you can't. Yeah, no, I'll get it for you. It's fine. But every day we have opportunities to choose to love. The Bible even says we choose to love our enemies. I got a reporter in the UK who hounds me constantly. I have to make a choice to love him. This kind of love is sacrificial sometimes and costly. It doesn't do it because you get something back in return. It's actually a deep, deep commitment. And if there's anything about a Christian, it's that commitment that marks them out. That when Jesus said, by your love for one another, they will know you, he didn't mean by your gooey feelings. He meant by the choices that you make to commit to walk and to stand. That's how great churches emerge. That's how people develop and change. In fact, that kind of love is the basis of all relationships. It's in the Trinity itself. We read in John 17, 24, God loves the Son. You loved me before the foundation of the world. You agaped me. It's that kind of a love. We read that the Son loves the Father in the same way but so that the world may know that I love the Father. And then God loves the world. This is a supernatural kind of a thing. Because it's not all you need is love. Beatles song kind of a love. Love is all you need. Yeah. As we walk into this love, we need to understand that we have to receive it. Not everybody can receive love because they've been rejected all their life. This love must then be imbibed. Paul says on one occasion, the love of Christ compels us. On another occasion, he says, the love of Christ constrains us. But when we're walking in that love, and that love is in us, and we think, man, God chose, chose to love me, it begins to affect your lifestyle in a very real way. And there are four things that this love will do for you. First, it will bring you into God's family. I was raised religiously, but I didn't know God. 
I was raised to believe that God was mad at me. And I had to do everything I could to get him on my side. And then one day I realized God loves me. We have seven grandchildren now, six and under. Love them to bits. Every one of those kids, I teach a little song to. Guess which song I teach them? Jesus loves me, this I know. I want every one of my grandkids to know God loves them. Before they've done a thing, passed an exam, won a tournament, got a medal, before they've done a thing, God loves you. That they raise in that understanding. We read in 1 John 3, 1, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. One time, we had a guy become part of the church who had come to Christ in prison. And he'd been in a long time, about 15 years, for a very serious crime. He'd got moved about a bit, and when he was released, he was released from the prison in Glasgow. The chaplain said to him, now you've come to know Jesus, you need to plug into a church when you get released. So he did. He just went to the local church, or a church he found on the street corner. And then he found, as he told people, that he'd come to Christ and he'd come out of prison, his story was, I'd sit in the pew, and all the ladies would slide up the pew, grabbing their bags and taking it with him. He never got invited back for coffee. Nobody took him to their home. And he did this two or three times with different churches. Very quickly, he became disillusioned with church, right? And so he prays, Jesus, I don't think much of your church. And he just feels God pressing him to keep going. So he turns up a destiny. But he decides, he decides that if they're going to reject me, they're going to reject me the moment I walk in. I'm going to tell them from the second I walk in who I am, what I am. If they want to reject me, they can reject me there. So he turns up at the building. There's a steward greets him at the door. And he said, hey, my name's Matthew. And I found Jesus in prison. And the steward said, what was he in for? And he plugged into the family. He thought, I could fit here. The second thing that love will do for you is this. Watch this. This is really important. You still awake? Give me a yeah. Everybody online awake? Give me a thumbs up. It will release you, watch this, into works of faith. Galatians 5, verse 6. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through, through love. See, once you choose to love someone, it triggers faith inside you. And once that faith is triggered, unbelievable things can happen. Once we planted a church, right? It began to grow. It was a difficult economic moment in the world, and there were two guys in the church. They didn't really know each other, and they were both unemployed. They didn't have jobs. They had kids, families. It was really tough. So we prayed with them that God would give them a job. No job came. 
So I sat down with them one day and said, look, if we can't pray you into a job, let's create you a job. What can you do? So one guy says to me, I've been in printing. And even then, the printing industry was changing rapidly. The whole world of print was turning upside down, print on demand and all these kinds of things. And the other one said, well, I've sold stuff. So you can sell and you can print. Yeah, right. This is what we're going to do. We're going to create a little business. We're going to produce a magazine in this town. Right? The magazine will produce, we'll run 5,000 copies. And we'll distribute it around the town. What we'll do is go to the butcher, go to the greengrocer, go to the baker, and ask for an ad for 50 pounds. I'll write some copy for it, and we'll even put some testimonies in it. But look, and then I showed him the businessman. Over two months, you've already got an income. So they're excited about this, and off they go. And now I'm feeling I'm loving them practically, getting them to do something. Well, after like a week or two, they come back and said, no butcher or baker's willing to spend 50 pounds on an advert. They won't do it. I said, we're thinking too small. Instead of going to the butcher and the baker, let's go to the manufacturer. And instead of selling an ad for 50 pounds, let's sell it for 50,000 pounds. They went to Mars, Pedigree, Andrick's Toilet Rolls, and within one week, had filled a magazine. It was unbelievably easy. And then we thought, well, 5,000 magazines is not enough. Our first print run was 7 million. And I went to the factory to watch these magazines coming off, and I went, oh my gosh, what have I done? It just exploded. All it started was, I'm choosing to love practically these guys. Now listen, we were in Istanbul last week with over 100 ministries who are doing remarkable things in the world. Some were working with trafficked people and were recovering human trafficked people. Some were working with addicts. Some were working with children. Some friends of ours the Pretorius is from South Africa, feeding four million people a day. How did all that start? Nobody gave them a million euros. Nobody gave them a budget. Nobody gave them anything. It was love in their heart that got them to do something. And before they knew it, the faith was going with it. And when the faith was going with it, great stuff happens. Can you imagine if every one of us loved our neighbor? Made it a business to love our street? Where would we be? The second thing is this. This kind of love will connect you, watch this, to the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you believe in the Holy Spirit? Give me a wave. Believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit? Let me tell you something. They're not just meant to function in a meeting or a home group. They're meant to function every single day of the week. And I am convinced if you are filled with the Holy Spirit, God is talking to you all the time. But there's too much white noise in our brains. It's called cares and concerns. And so God is trying to talk to you, and we just 
don't hear. We ignore it. Some people call that words of knowledge. God gives you information. Sometimes God gives you a word for somebody. But once, once you have this agape love, I'm choosing, you will be astonished how quickly the power of God starts moving in your life. See, people look for the power, but they don't look for the love because of the power. But the Bible teaches us that this love moves us into the power of God. In 1 Corinthians 13, 13, so now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. 1 Corinthians 13 is probably the most famous love chapter in the Bible, right? It's often read at weddings. You know it well. But what's 1 Corinthians 14? What comes next? The whole thing's about the power of God. We stop at the love and don't see the result. But when that love is functioning, things open up. I told a story yesterday, I think. But let me tell it again, because most of you are not there probably. A few years back, I walked into a, an antique shop. I was kind of into antiques at that point. We bought an old house and we're doing it up. And I'm wandering around and browsing and looking. And, and then I start talking to the owner. And we very quickly went away from antiques to talking about Jesus. And talking deeply. I mean, a deep conversation. And then he says, oh, no. It was like, it was like God was drawing me. And then he, it was like, no, I'm not, I'm not going there. I'm not interested. Life's good. And, you know, my girlfriend just moved in with me. We've got a lovely apartment. Everything's cool. No, I'm not interested. Then I left his shop. Prayed for him as I left. Felt in my heart that guy was so close. Something was happening. Prayed and just left it. But two months later, I come home late one night. I'd been speaking at an event. It was really late, gone midnight. Everybody in my house is in bed and fast asleep. And I'm creeping into the house, and the Holy Spirit says to me, go back into town and go to the chip shop. Now, sometimes people say to me, how do you know it's God talking to you? I know it's God because I've already started arguing with the voice. You don't argue with yourself particularly, right? But you argue back with God. And my argument is, I'm tired, I'm not hungry, I want to go to bed. So I'm creeping up the stairs, and the Holy Spirit says to me, don't think you're going to sleep. So there I go. So I come back, jump in the car, drive into town. Thinking, which chip shop? There's hundreds in this place. And besides, it's late. Probably none of them are open. I don't hear anything else. So I make a decision. First one that's open, I'll stop. So I come across when I walk in, I start feeling in my pocket for some change. I might as well buy a bag of chips. Then I hear this voice, Andrew. I look in the corner, and there's the guy from the antique shop. And he said, I have prayed all day that I would meet you. In fact, since we met, my life's completely fallen apart. My girlfriend's taken off. My business has nosedived. I'm sick. I came, became suicidal. I prayed. I will meet you. I've never prayed in my life, and here you are. I talked with him till three in the morning on that street corner, hoping he'd give his life to Jesus, but he didn't. The great thing is, he came to church on Sunday and did. But those stories, I could tell you a hundred stories like that. Just a prompt, because 
God wants to release a choice called love in your heart. Then, let me tell you something else about this love. We're almost done. This love, watch this, will make you unusually confident. Unusually confident. Having the courage to speak up or to speak out or to act or to move. We read in Romans 8, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither things present nor future or any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. When you know that God loves you and he chose to love you, it's unshakable, it's immovable, it does not depend upon how well you're doing or your performance as a Christian. He loves you. He's with you. He's never going to leave you. Even in the most pressured moments, you find a confidence that is not natural. And it can outwork in the most unusual ways. One time, I came home to Glasgow, having been in America. And for whatever reason, my flight, international flight, connected at Birmingham International Airport, which is the central middle of the UK. And then there's a flight home to Glasgow, to Scotland. My flight in, it was touch and go, but we had got there. Then I ran for my Glasgow flight. And as I got to the gate, the girl said to me, sorry, flight's closed. Now, I had a real important meeting that night, and something hugely significant was happening for us as a church that night. I needed to be home. And so I went back to the transfer desk and said, when's the next flight up? I've got to get home tonight. She says, there isn't one. The next one's tomorrow morning. But don't worry, it's the airline's fault. They'll put you up in a hotel. I said, no, you don't understand. I need to get home tonight. I need to be on that plane. She said, the flight's closed. So I walked away. But God loves me. God's for me. No, I'm going to get on that plane. So I go back to the desk and I say to the lady, I have to be on that flight. So she gets a little angry and she said, I've told you. It's closed. You can't get on it. They've closed the door. And that airport had a big glass wall. She said, in fact, there's your plane being pushed back. It's been pushed back. So I walked away again, and I watched the plane push back and taxi down the runway to turn around and take off. I thought, no, God loves me. So this is what I did. I pointed at the aircraft. Get back here in Jesus' name. I go back to the girl again at the desk. She sees me coming. She said, you, it says, you can't get on that plane. And then she points to this sign that's on the wall behind her. You know, one of these signs where which says, treat our staff well or we'll put you in prison for life kind of signs. And she's now really angry at me. Then the phone on her desk goes. So she snatches it up like this to answer it. And I can't hear the conversation. But she slowly puts the phone down. She said, your aircraft has been called back to the stand for a VIP who's just coming to the airport. Seeing you have been so determined 
you can get on it with him. So the plane comes back. A British Airways Airbus comes back to the stand and they let me on. So I'm sitting thinking, I wonder who the VIP is. And then five minutes later, our Prime Minister got on the plane. And I thought, he is so lucky I needed this aircraft. Who needs a private jet with British Airways will do that? <laughs> but listen, God loves you. And as you know that, walk in it. Make the same choice. Your emotions will catch up. Your feelings will line in. But make that choice. One to another. The people around you. The guys at work, the person you bump into in the street, make that choice and you will be astonished at what God will not only do for you, but then do in you and then do through you. Let's pray. Close your eyes with me, would you? Bow your head. Obviously, I don't know, everybody in this room today but possibly this is your first time. Possibly you've been coming many times. I'm not sure. I don't know. But here's the question. Do you know God yourself? Even you guys online. Do you know God yourself? I'm not talking about knowing about Him or believe in Him or know He's there or about knowing Him. You need to know God loves you so much that 2,000 years ago, he sent his own son, Jesus, to die on a cross. Chose to do that. And he chose to do that because he loves you and there was a sin that separated you from God. And Jesus chose to go to the cross. He said he had the power to lay down his life or take up his life. He chose to go. He loved you. And when he was on that cross, every sin that separates us from God was placed on him so that we can walk free I'd love to pray for you today that is if there's someone either here or online and you know I need a personal encounter with Jesus I need to give my life to him I need to receive that love nothing to do with religion nothing to do with you working your way to God he has come down and reached to you he wants you to receive that love. Christians sometimes talk about being saved and born again. They're meaning the same thing. They're coming into God's family. And in the event that there's someone here, and you know this is what you need today, would you let me pray for you? I'd consider it such a privilege. I'd consider it such a privilege if you'd let me do that. And in order that I may know who I'm praying for and focus my faith for you, I want to ask you to do one really simple thing. If you know you need to come into God's family, if you know you need to be saved today, you'd like this prayer, you're receiving this prayer, and I, I'm telling you that when I pray, stuff happens, right? God does something, I promise you. If you want this prayer, you want me to include you in it right now, I'm asking you to do this one simple thing, just where you are, would you? That's all I need you to do, would you? Just raise your hand in the air so that I can see and then I'll know I'm praying for you. 
then you can put your hand down again. Raise your hand. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Is anybody else? Just raise your hand. We're going to pray. Even if you're online, you can raise your hand, right? Just where you are. Thank you. Is there, is there another person just before we pray? Raise your hand with me if there is. Then, then let's pray. Listen, this is what I'd like us to do. If you raised your hand, would you raise it again and just keep it up while I'm praying? Imagine you're reaching up into heaven. Imagine you're saying, hey God, I'm here. And just keep your hand up while I'm praying, that's all. And I'm sure others are praying with me as well. Heavenly Father, I bless you for every one of these precious people. You know their name, their circumstance, their situation, every last thing about their lives, and you have chosen to love them. And so, Lord, I pray that they would right now, in this moment, experience that love. Know it, know it, know it. Lord, I pray that you bring them into your family. Truly, truly save them. And quickly fill them with your Holy Spirit. May they walk in that love as they've come to know you today. May they be secure, confident, grateful, worshipful, moving on in that love that you have for them. We bless these people today. And we call them out of any place of darkness and into the light, into the love, and into that family. I pray, God, today that you would just cover them with your grace in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, Amen.